The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today we are going to be talking about sanity and talking about mindfulness. And that's so important when we're talking about the issue of finding prescriptions for healing conflict, which is really the genre of our show. And today we're really happy to introduce to you a a wonderful author, Ruby Wax, who is the author of this new book called Sane New World, A User's Guide to Normal Crazy Mind. And this is a brand new book, and I've been reading it, and it's wonderful. And let me tell you a little bit about Ruby Wax. She has been a performer, writer, mental health campaigner, and she worked for three decades on stage, TV, and radio, and she recently changed direction, and she completed a psychotherapy diploma and a master's degree in mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy from Oxford University, and she now presents workshops for corporate leaders, enabling them to become deeper and more direct in their communication with their customers, their clients, and their colleagues. And so then she ended up writing this wonderful book called Sane New World, and this is uh, in it. She uh, dis- it's really a guide to saner living, which we could all use in our crazy world and this information overload. Ruby explains how our minds can jeopardize our sanity, and we're going to find out more about that. And she also has a new show with the same name, Sane New World. And um, she helps audiences become the masters, not the slaves of their minds. So this is great because that's something that we all aspire to do. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank Ruby. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So why is it that you wrote this book? Oh, why did I write the book? Well, um, I had been. I worked for the BBC. I'm American, uh, but I worked for. I went to England very young. That's why I have the English accent. And I went to uh, work for the BBC for 25 years, and I'm a comedy writer. So I had my own show, only because they were on a tea break, uh, you know, at the time. And so I, you, you could get in there. And then I ended up working with the girls who eventually, well, the one girl who developed Absolutely Fabulous, and I helped her write it all these, all these years. Mm. And um, before that, I decided I left the United States because I decided I wanted to be an actress for no reason at all. <laughs> I've been studying psychology at Berkeley. 
Don't ask. But um, I went over there and I decided I would be an actress, and I was terrible. Uh, but I worked and worked and worked uh, alone in a room with, uh, for my audition speech. I didn't get in any drama school, but I was driven. So I got into the Royal Shakespeare Company eventually, and Alan Rickman saw me. Well, he was in my year and said, you're a terrible actress, but I think you can write comedy. <laughs> so he said, write something. So I handed him 500 pages of madness, and he said, yeah, there's a show in here. So he's been directing every one-woman show that I've ever done. But I went on to work in TV. And, and then time. that led you to write your new book, too. Well, after all that time, you know, you have to reinvent yourself. Right. Otherwise, you're just repeating, you know. Um, and then that kind of becomes tragic when you're much older going, remember me. You know, yeah. you're still doing the same thing. So I said, <laughs> let's jump here. You know, leave the party before the party leaves you. Right. And I was always interested in how the brain works. Yeah. Always. But I wanted to learn some way, probably because I have depression, but I never told anybody that earlier, uh, to learn how to maybe uh, cool my own engine when the voices or the thoughts are really intense. You know, I could have, I shouldn't, I didn't. Uh, And you can never feel when a depression's coming. It's like a tsunami. Yeah, because your ear isn't to the ground. So I research what are there wh- are there ways that you not get rid of it, but lower lower the abusive internal thoughts. Right. And cognitive th- therapy and mindfulness had the best results. Right. I, I never heard of these things. So I found the founder, one of the founders, and I. He was a professor at Oxford, and I went there and said, "Don't give me the fluffy stuff. I don't want any. You know, I want a w- workshop on how to heal your inner elf. Don't give me that. Tell me what happens in the brain." He said, "You'd have to get in here." and get your master's, and so I did, and I graduated <laughs> in September, took my dissertation, and flipped it into comedy, and so that became this book. So that's your dharma, huh? That's your purpose in life. You were meant to bring uh, lightness to a very important issue about mental health, and I think it's wonderful. You know, and, and how it relates to conflict for those who are listening is really when we are in a depression or we have our own mental issues and we talk to ourselves and we hear voices in our head kind of being paranoid about what our friends are doing. Or we're not good enough. Or we're not good enough. It causes conflict with others. And right? And so this is what causes inner conflict. And, of course, the inner conflict, as Martin Buber says, is the cause of all outer conflict, too. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, the, the book uh, is, is about the one in, it isn't about the one in four. You know, that's the right. thing of you. I wanted to really study what, what's going on with the four and four. Right. And um, there is a difference between mental illness and just um, turmoil or being sad or being confused, right, you know, right. It's like being pregnant or not pregnant, right. So I do mention mental illness in it because I've got it, but it isn't about that. Yeah, but it is true that I, I do say that we blame the world for why we're in such a mess. You know, on global warming or the economy or whoever the enemy happens to be. I don't know who they are anymore. They change every half an hour, but the real conflict is in our heads, right? What, and we project it onto the world, and nothing will change until we declare a truce in our own minds. Right. But this, we can't, it's 2014. Nobody ever, I know shrinks help you look inside, but we need to look inside to kind of uh, understand there's an argument going on in there. And if we are not aware of it, we're going to think it's the next guy who's causing us to feel so agitated. Exactly. The, the, the agitation is in you. Right. And we work like, uh, I love this expression, neural Wi-Fi. If I'm really agitated or, you know, anxious, I'm going to pass it to the next guy. Right. The next guy passes it to his organization. That passes it to the community. The community passes it to the world. Right. And this is the way it will always be until we 
look in and take responsibility. And I don't mean get out the whip. Right, right. No, just if I, you get stressed about stress or angry about being angry, you're even more agitated. Right. You know, you're going to smoke a cigarette if you see an ad that says "Don't smoke." <laughs> you're going to double it. So with right. the mindfulness, you learn how to. You look in. You see what's going on. It's going on in everybody's mind. Right. And um, and 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 then with the certain techniques, you learn to give yourself a little bit of compassion. And if you do that to yourself, you'll pass it to the next guy because you'll understand how his mind works. Yes. Yes. And we're only in charge of our own minds. And even that's hard enough. We're not always in charge of that. Right? I don't know what's going on in your mind. I mean, the one thing <laughs> right. I did learn is we project um, everything we see goes through a filter of our memory. So I think yes. my reality is your reality. But it's not. Of course, it couldn't be. But we assume that everybody sees their point of view. So if I'm talking to you and you remind me of somebody, yes, I'm going to relate to you that way. Right. Um, right. You know, our our minds are natural bigots. Yes, and and I think that's it. Just makes life easier for us when we can compartmentalize. But it's it's dangerous. It's, it's like limiting. It, yeah, it's like that word assume. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you make a ASS of you and me. And so that's, you know, for me, who I, you know, my profession is to be in the middle of conflict all the time. That's what I do. Mm. That's uh, to help people to facilitate them to find solutions so that they can either get out of court or avoid court or, yeah. or do whatever they need to do to resolve their differences. And, um, and so, you know, I love this book because, you know, mindfulness for, you know, you talk about mindfulness is intentionally paying attention and being in the present and being non-judgmental to what's going on, but just noticing. And, and I don't think many people really focus on doing that. They, they let their emotions rule them or they let these thoughts just take over instead of just really observing what's going on and questioning right yeah i mean awareness is everything but i still have you know a pattern that was embedded a while ago like if if you start frightening me i rather than hunker in a corner which some people do i'll get really passive aggressive Mm. and i'll i'll throw the lampoon before you get it at me that that's in my you know that's in my uh, in myself, but but look and at the end of the book, if mindfulness isn't for you, forget it. I give like different uh, exercises you might be able to do. Yes, again, you know, which I picked up at Oxford, but they're all about learning to um, observe. Yes, and step back, um, and if you notice uh, my my whole when I want, when somebody's agitating me, everything in me turns reptilian. Mm. I can, and you know what? We're addicted to that. It feels really good to give somebody help. In my case, mm. but then you get the backwash the next day. I right. get the hangover. Right. Um, I'm not saying once in a while I really want to go for somebody, but it's this holding back the reins, but with not a whip. But you know, it's like a mother comforting a child who's, who's screaming. Is gradually, gradually, and that becomes a new habit. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm a mellow person. You know, yeah. I do show yeah. But I don't want to kill myself because if you really let the anger go, yes, uh, the ripple effects with the cortisol going on, you know, this isn't your imagination. Right. It leads to heart attacks, uh, high blood pressure, premature aging. Ev- everything is killing you, not the other person. It right. It's so good for um, conflict that people would take their own pulse or check their own weather conditions inside and say, I'm, I'm at number 10. Yes. I'm so angry. And then they'd raise a white flag. And say we'll meet again in a half an hour. Right, right. Everybody goes in their corner. You cool down, and then you're going to make sense. 
Right, right. And people don't realize that the words that they use and the emotions that they have really are chemical and cause chemical, like you were talking about cortisol or other chemicals, and that's why we get sick. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I teach in conflict resolution is really to be mindful, to know that when I get angry, you know, I get that that sword going into my solar plexus and i need to just focus on it and gently take it out and then i'm (laughs) great illusion you know and then i yeah i always laugh because uh i'm i'm not into blood so um when i when i see that in my mind's eye that that uh sword go into my solar plexus i immediately pull it out but it's got a golden glow around it there's no blood (laughs) then see the next guy's going to go, I don't know what she's talking about. You have to find your own way. <laughs> exactly. And people, when, when I do this, in fact, I was just teaching this the other night to a bunch of uh, leaders, and um, some people feel it in their chest, like their chest is all tightened up. And some people feel it in their shoulders, and some people get this like their face is on fire. So, yeah. so you're right, everybody. But but we all manifest our anger in a certain way in our bodies, and once we can reverse that, we can get a little bit more centered to get mindful, mm. and like what you're talking about. So yeah, you just notice it. You know, the minute you notice it, just the noticing. You don't have to say, "Oh God, I shouldn't do this." It'll tighten up even more. Noticing means you're using a different part of your brain that gives you a gap. Yes. So you can decide, I'm going to go for this guy, or this is just my habit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try another approach. And I've done that. You kind of think, this is me. He looks like somebody in high school who gave me a really hard time. Yeah. Let's try something else. And I'll go, that, what you just did is really good. His face softens in two seconds. Yeah. And yeah. then mine does. And, the, and then, because I've, I've uh, cornered people with what I thought they were. You know, I, I, once yeah. I did this with, I thought the guy was an idiot. Yeah. And so I, I kind of treated him like that. Mm. I'm on a radio show, and I said, it was, I said, can you just excuse me? i got to go to the bathroom. Um, it's live radio. That wasn't a great <laughs> thing to do. So he's holding the seat. I'm in the bathroom. Oh, no. Trying to get my, lower my, you know, just track my breath. Of course, when you track it, it low, it calms down. You don't have to think about it. It just, when I went back in, yeah. I was a little cooler. I was yeah. still funny. Because yeah. it's not like you turn into a vegetable. He cooled down, and it turned out he was a mathematical genius. He'd been on TED Talks. Mm-hmm. I got it wrong. I was the idiot. <laughs> well, that's again, that's that word assume. Yeah. And every time we assume, we always really do that to ourselves you know we have to watch that and and everyone does it and because it just you know it's a way to to shortcut things in life when we're in a hurry and it's just you know i can't do that in mediation or i won't get any more clients yeah you got to get the red mist down in everybody's yeah i have to be open and non-judgmental of everybody that comes into my office and give them a chance and and fight that floor steady yeah, and and so yeah. But, but when you were talking about use it with emptying your mind, right? Right. That's not humanly possible. It'll yeah. be empty when you're dead. Right. So right. um, it it's just about it's a technique. Like I always say, you can't get a six pack with one sit up. Right. Uh, and and you know when I got to England, people weren't even brushing their teeth. Oh my goodness! <laughs> now the whole country's doing sit ups. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like for what reason, please? Yeah. Um. So again, it's they're going to learn doesn't have to be mindfulness but something where you pay where you learn to pay attention and you know you you have uh, breathing exercises in your book and one of the things and you just spoke about this a minute ago which 
is another thing that I always do is I really, you breathe out, you know, when you really breathe out, you're letting go. And, and, and focusing on it. Yes, you know, and it, focusing. It so stupid, but... I don't think you feel stupid. I think it's yeah. it when you do it, um, it. Other people do it. It's kind of like a yawn. It's like when I and sometimes I'll say to people when they're really hot and I can see that they're really angry at the other people in the room. I'll just say, okay, let's just all take a a breath and just <sighs> let it go. Just yeah. let's do that. And and it, even I notice if I'm having a rough day and I have a golden retriever puppy that's 15 months old, and if I go. <sighs> I hear him do it. <laughs> it's fun, catching. Yeah. It's well, that's really. What we do. If you stroke a, you know, if if you kick an animal, it's gonna it's gonna bite you. Yeah. If you cool it down, it cools down. Just, uh, it's just it's just the way our chemicals work. Right. You can argue all you want, but it's you know a mother teaches her kid how to calm down, or she's so agitated. Guess what grows up? So you know, yeah. we're not making this stuff up. Yeah. Right, right. So what are some other negative feelings and emotions that affect what you call normal people? Well, it's only because I did a show in um, seven years ago uh, because I was outed having mental illness. I never would have told anybody, but just quickly, they put um, a mental health charity. I'm a comedy writer. I'm in my own business. I don't tell anybody I have depression because they'll go, that's impossible, you're funny. I'm not going to argue. Right, that's mm. the stupidest thing you could ever say. But a mental health charity said, could they use my photo? And I thought it was just a tiny thing, but they put uh. big posters of me up all over the U.K. Mm. saying um, one in four people have mental illness, one in five people have dandruff. I have both. Can you imagine the horror? Mm. So I wrote a show, and I made that look like it's my publicity poster. <laughs> and I did it for two years in mental institutions, which I loved. Cause these yeah. Are my people. And I used to say, I made... Bipolar used to say I laughed and cried. <laughs> but anyway, it took off, and it went to all theaters, and everybody in the audience, it was liberating to them. In England, go figure. Right. You know, people would start talking, because we have no place to meet. Then I was interested in doing a show about the four and four, what's, what's bothering all of us. Yeah. Why don't and you tell my audience what you mean by the four and four? Four and four is the normal. Okay. Okay. It means you don't have mental illness. You could be neurotic. You could be narcissistic. That's not sick. Okay. That's just a personality disorder. It's, it's just you know it's it's on the human palate. You know right. It's, right. It's, when you've got Alzheimer's, you really do. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And you wouldn't tell them to come on. Remember where you put the key. Right. So right. Depression is the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So we're agitated, not necessarily because something's wrong with us, but because. Back, back when we, you know, evolution has tried its best. I always say every cell in your body is trying for survival. It doesn't care about your happiness. <laughs> but when we feel danger, we take it on. Then we cool down again. We're built for that. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be standing here. Right. But because we hear so much news, and I don't even listen. I just turned on my computer, and, and the image, I didn't look for it, of Oprah made a mistake. If I don't even want to hear the news, I hear the news. Our brain can't tell if there's danger behind us or something's happening 20,000 miles away. Right. So right. we're in a continuous state of agitation. Now it's Ebola. Watch this space. Next week it'll be something else. Yeah, right. So our teeth are chattering. We have no way to dump the cortisol. As a matter of fact, you get addicted to those high states like mm -hmm. adrenaline. And, and uh, part of it is we're walking time bombs. And then multitasking is praised. 
and busyness. People go, oh, my God, um, you're busy. That's fantastic. Can you imagine saying I have spare time? Good luck getting invited to a dinner party. <laughs> Good luck. So I say to people, I've had a heart attack. I'm on life support. They go, that's fantastic. <laughs> Well, I think that's changing, though, you know, yeah, I, I I do think that's changing, at least in, in my, in my circle of people, Uh, I think it's changing, so I think that's good, and I think the fact, Ruby, that you are even talking about this is bringing it to a conscious level for people to kind of question what they're doing, and, and kind of making fun with it, but really talking about some very serious stuff, Well, understanding that that's the way the world is. You know how some people go on and on, technology's doing this. It's here. You want to waste your life, you know, complaining? Yeah, just deal with it, yeah. So just know, where's your breaks? Where where can you no longer take it? It doesn't mean you stay there or any kid stops playing. It means you're giving time for the cortisol to come down, the red mist come down, and then believe me, when you go back into your job, you're more creative than everybody else, and you're going to get your point across because now your brain not dead, clear. Right. The voices are like in another room. You're still getting me. I can't do this. I'm not going to pull it. But you don't take them seriously. You think, that's just my record play. Yeah. So it makes you faster, have more energy. This isn't a thing about, oh, let's all chill out. I hate that word. Right. It cools it for a second. Just learn how your brain works. And then you go back in again because you're resilient. Right, right. I know for many, many years, um, I was a transcendental meditator and did not miss twice a day, 20 minutes, ever, ever. And that was the happiest I was. And now I, I don't always do it every day. And when I do, I always feel better. And before I walk into any mediation... Anytime I get into, I go in and I do some prayer work and I do some visualization of the people smiling. I have my own little techniques. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. My own little techniques so that I get centered because I know if my energy is calm, that helps everybody else. You have to be. Yeah. Otherwise, you're hitting them with your stuff. Right. They can't even tell. Right, right. You're teaching kids in school now how to read themselves. So they don't blame it on everybody else. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, I think this is a really big issue about the stigma with mental illness. You know, I was married to a psychiatrist for 18 years. So I I have some sense because I put them through medical school and residency and all this. I have a little bit more understanding of some of this stuff, but by no means am I an expert. But um and I do also have a master's in psychology, so I get some of these You're things. You're an expert. I'm yeah. not an expert. No, there's the voice. I'm not an expert. you got a master's. Come on. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I mediate all the time, so I have a lot of real-life experience dealing with people with intense emotions. So, I, you know, that that's really my best teacher. But, you know, uh, we had... Um, I don't know if you know, but the our, the minister of Saddleback Church here, who is uh, very famous, at least on the West Coast, his son committed suicide. And so he has started, he has a huge church, and he wrote the book, A Purpose Driven Life. And um, when his son, at, I think 21 or 22, uh, two years ago, committed suicide, he went into his obviously own depression. And then he decided that his church, he was going to make it his mission to take away as much as he could the stigma from mental illness. And so when, you know, I was thinking about that when I was looking and, you know, I've been reading your book, 
let's talk about why there is such a stigma with mental illness and what you think needs to be done. Right. Again, I don't. I I have a little bit in my book, but um, the show I did before uh, in London and went all over Australia and whatever is um, people in the second half could start to talk. Did I mention that? People in in, in the audience would start would suddenly say, yeah. "Oh yeah, that th- there is a guy who stood up and said I've had uh, a real macho guy said I've had depression for twenty years. I never told my wife, and she was mm. sitting next to him, Aww. and it was like the Muppets." Because these were big audiences. Somebody in the third balcony would say it. Somebody in the stalls would suddenly shut up mm. and go, I think I gave it to my daughter. Mm. Then, you know, then he'd say, uh, I know where to get help. Of course, you didn't give it to your daughter, necessarily. Nobody knows if it's nature or nurture. And then on my nights off, um, my one night off, I'd bring in experts um, and therapists so, and invite people off the street. They had a, point of, a port of call. And it became really liberating in there because once you open up, right. you're with your people and the shame comes off because this is the only disease that shame comes with it. Right. So in England, what's happened is people now, there's been a groundswell of, um, of people coming up. This is England. And so I do a lot of uh, private engagements. You know, at, I've done it at Goldman Sachs and, at, and I'm speaking in Parliament because Parliament, 200 people are doing mindfulness in there. Oh, I love it. And uh, yeah, go go figure that. So the laws are starting to change. Well, did you know that even in law schools, they're starting to change, they're starting to teach mindfulness, and I'm going to be doing a program about oh, mindfulness in negotiation and mediation. So so I think, again, this is like this, you know, you're, you're putting out there something that's so important, and, and it's being picked up, I think, through the energies, right? Well, if we're going to evolve, and I'm not being all fluffy, no, it's um, okay to be fluffy. <laughs> we have enough thumbs. But you want to know what I think? I, I think that if there's a lot of people with Asperger's and they're really good at running corporations, mm. it's almost they're the survivors. You know, they're, they're, right. the evolution gave us them because they got to multitask so intensely they can't let emotions get in their mm. way. But if the rest of us are going to survive, because they do say by 2020 it's going to be stress that wipes us out, that we this time have to do something consciously. Uh, some way to develop the front part of our brain, which we've got, but we don't know how to use it. And that frontal lobe, you know, we got a middle rid of the brain that's reptilian. You know, none of it disappeared in uh, the last 500,000 years. We still have the basics. So that's why when I get real flipped out, that's the limbic system. And then the front, which no other animal has, is about um, awareness, attention, rehearsing something before you speak. But we never... We don't know how to access it. I mean, you'll get it by accident once in a while. Um, and a lot of this is about um, understanding, okay, that's a limbic reaction. Let's just leave a pause here, and then it has time to use this other thing. I mean, we're becoming, the idea is to become the driver, not the driven. Right. And that's right. going to take work. We live in a time where we expect a pill mm-hmm. you know, or a weekend workshop. This is going to take a little bit of work, but it's it, it may cut down on the heart disease and the diabetes too, and the, it, it's sort of the way forward. Let's before the ice cap, um, look to your brain. 
Right, right. There, there's um, a book I interviewed the, this uh, neurosurgeon uh, on my book and uh, on my book on my radio show, and the name of the book was "Words Can Change Your Brain." And he oh, talks, all, get that yeah, one. and it's all about how your thoughts, which then come out as words, really do change your brain chemistry. And so when I talk to people about negotiation and conflict management, I tell them that they have to reframe words instead of saying, this is a problem, they have to change it to this is a challenge. It's your fault. You know, you've done this. Yeah. Or and, and just really reframing a negativity into neutral or positive because it really does change the chemistry in our brain. But we yeah, have, no, I mean that's another thing. Can we please read about that? It's in science, neuroplasticity. We right. aren't hardwired. Everybody thought, "Oh, well this is the way you are. That's what your genes did." Just check it out. You know, go look at scientific journals. You don't have to become an expert. Right. Your brain changes every thought. Every experience changes it. Everything, like if I look at you and I constantly get anger, what do you think is happening to those neural patterns? I'm creating a habit. Right. If you do that mindfulness, or you're, the minute you're aware, those neurons unwire, and then you can rewire by changing like what you said, halting yeah. it a second and saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm sending this out, and then you can, you can reroute those habits. Yeah, and this is a great way to end. We've been speaking with Ruby Wax, who is the author of this fascinating new book. It's great. It's called Sane New World, A User's Guide to the Normal Crazy Mind. Ruby, thank you so much, and we wish you all the best thank with this you. book. Thanks and for having me on. Yeah, let's stay in touch, okay? I love talking to you. Okay, thanks so much. <laughs> me too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. Expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.